Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. Transforming your body is not hard. It's not hard at all. I don't care how many times you've failed. I don't care how hard you've worked in the past. You're just not doing the right things for you yet. So if you've ever gone to the gym and your knees are sore, your hips are sore, like, you know, I, I feel I feel worse after the gym, like you're doing something wrong. It's not supposed to be that way, right? Hey, hey, friends, welcome back to a very special episode of Better with Dr. Stephanie. It's me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. Today, I had my first in-person podcast. So for many of you listeners that have been with me on this journey from the beginning, you know that most of these have been virtual. And my first in-person guest, the title goes to Ben Pakulski, who is a friend that I have recently met and pretty much instantly and we became we became fast friends. So Ben, uh, or BPAC as he's known, or Pac Man, he's a Canadian IFBB professional bodybuilder, winner of the 2008 Mr. Canada competition. Uh, in the IFBB, he placed. Uh, second twice, uh, finished in the Arnold Classic, I believe, uh, 10th overall. And he's just a wealth of information. Some of his mentors uh, have been Charles Poliquin uh, and many, many others in terms of really understanding uh, mechanics and what it takes to build muscle and hypertrophy. So as you can imagine, we had a lot of things to talk about. Now, Ben often, uh, his audience will say is maybe more male-based and ours and in, in Dr. Stephanie Land, if you will, is more female-based, but certainly a lot of overlap. And so we talked a lot about what he feels are the pillars for a lean muscular physique. So we talked about how to move, how to think, how to eat, sleeping, breathing, how to activate our parasympathetics. We talked about strength versus hypertrophy and the difference between the two, why someone might not be progressing in the gym. So maybe we are under training, we are not prioritizing recovery, skill acquisition is poor, there's not enough output, uh, looking at KPIs like performance um, in terms of what we want to be watching and recovery tools. And we just I mean, we just went on a beautiful conversation. Uh, we had a beautiful conversation and really appreciated some of the uh, nuance that Ben brings to the conversation around mechanics, around progression, and around just being your best self. I mean, certainly we talked a lot about muscle, but as you are, if you're someone who spends any time in the gym, know that the practice of getting up and going to the gym and doing the same thing over and over and over again takes a certain amount of discipline and forges a certain mental toughness and grit that Ben certainly has. And we get into talking a lot about mindset and what it means to be a parent and how we want to show up for our children and how he has changed over time and how I have changed. So I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Ben. I certainly did. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with my friend, Ben Pakulski. 
I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery and health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk, and my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apres ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate, Melody, you love the best. Okay. So I'll say that my goals are, um, I want to look as good as I can. So there's an aesthetic goal. So part of that is like the hourglass figure that I was talking about. There's also a strength goal. So I want to be able to do, I was saying like the 12 pull-ups, certain numbers that I want to hit in the gym, which may be ego-driven and I'm totally... Completely fine. Okay. So totally ego... Well, not, even if it's not ego-driven, there's a value in strength. I told... Well, yeah. I just saw uh, Brett Contreras who said he was going to come on my show. Brett, please answer my DM. Um, and he wants to come on the show and he just did this, uh, I don't know what he called it, glute lab strong glute challenge or it was like a meet of all these different women and there were all of these different compound lifts so there were women who were deadlifting uh who were doing uh you know barbell squats who were doing hip thrusts uh weighted pull-ups and I was like I want to do all of these things and some of the weights that these women were lifting like there was like a I don't know 300 pound squat 
for, I feel like that's an amazing number for a woman. Yeah. And there was, I don't remember the exact number. It was maybe 95 pounds. You know, she had some chains and, you know, maybe a plate or two. uh, And she was doing pull-ups, which I think is incredible. So I can pull seven times my, currently my body weight. I want to get 12 times pulling my body weight. I'm going to stop you on this because there's absolutely no correlation between strength and muscle, like very low correlation. Here's why. The person you're looking at is not you. Levers are completely different. Right. So as an example, you could have long arms. She could have short arms. She could have long femurs. You could have short femurs. Mm -hmm. And that's going to predispose you to doing exercises completely differently. So someone up there doing a 95-pound pull-up may have really short arms or maybe they have really long clavicle. Like it's, it's yeah. completely different mechanics. I was, it's so, I was talking to Molly uh, Galbraith about yeah. this and she was like, yeah, I, I struggle too. She has like a six foot wings. Like she's, you know, or, with yeah. her, when she's completely extended, there's right. like six so feet her. her. would be horrible. Right. Yeah. Right. And she was, she just, uh, we were just talking uh, because she just did eight and I was right. like, that's, that's amazing. That's it. Like, so you can girl, only right? ever compare yeah. yourself against you. So yeah. while everyone's like, Oh, I want to be like, I was a world-class squatter. I could, front squat 600 pounds and sit at the bottom, but not, I mean, I'm, I'm very, very gifted to squat. Like I was, I was, you know, quote unquote born to squat. Most human beings will never do what I did. Mm. That's why I was able to get to the top. One of the reasons I was able to get to the top of the sport, but you could find someone who's got, just because of my proportions, if someone had really long femurs, there's no way, there's no way they would get knee problems and back problems way faster than they get big quads. If yeah. they, if they just squat it, I should say this clear, clearly. Mm. And this is another mistake. Well, Lane Norton is also kind of famous for saying like he's got really long femurs and like, you know. No, he's got very weak quads. So like to what he does have longer femurs, but like he just has trained himself to squat using his glutes in his lower back. He doesn't have particularly long femurs. Like if you watch him, I know Lane very well. Mm. If you watch him squat, he just doesn't train his quads in isolation to improve his ability to extend his knee. So if you squat to the bottom and you're, bo- you're going, hey body, I want to get from the bottom where I am now back up to the top. Your body goes, I'm going to use the strongest muscles I have yep. in, in the exact order of their capability, right? So there's a leverage consideration, which one's furthest away from the center of mass. But there's also a size consideration. So if your quads are underdeveloped, your body goes, all right, I can't really give that much force with these things. So let me see what I can, how I can manipulate the way I do this to use a different muscle. That can, be, that can work to your advantage or against you, right? So if you want to build your glutes, you can go, okay, body, I can, I, can, I can intentionally use my mind to predispose my body to use glutes way more on a squat, or I can predispose my body to use quads way more on a squat. But this is the type of stuff that women, no, men or women don't understand, is, is the first consideration for everything you do is not how much you're doing or how often you're doing, it's how you're doing it. So I don't care what you do until I see how you do it. So if I can improve how you do it, think of it like, um, you know, everyone talks about progressive overload being a king and, and most people think of progressive overload as um, the amount of weight on the bar, the number of reps. It's not. The first opportunity for progressive overload is quality, right? So you, first you have to qualify before you can quantify. So if every rep looks the same and you optimize your quality score, then progressive overload becomes king. But if, you're, if your reps are kind of sloppy and as you get tired, do they look the same or do they look worse? Do you go faster or slower? That's a completely different game. Mm. I don't know if you guys talk about exercise like this on there because sometimes I'm talking fast. Well, we're gonna go. We're gonna go into a lot of lot of detail today around that. So maybe you can maybe you can give a couple of other examples of. So I, I we do talk about progressive overload, but I do like the idea of quality before quantity before we're progressing. Yeah. 
What are some other examples of progressive overload? So it's not also, just weight on the bar, but right. it so can think be of volume. It like this. And- so here's an example that I use all the time. If I'm, I'm just going to use easy numbers, not necessarily um, relevant numbers, but easy numbers. Yeah. So let's say I'm using a hundred pound dumbbell in this hand. Right, and I'm doing a hundred pound dumbbell press. I know it's not, or ten pounds, we'll say for women's. You can use a hundred. That's just because for round numbers for simplicity. Yeah, yeah. So I'm doing a hundred pound dumbbell press, and my hand, say if I'm doing a shoulder press, my hand stays directly over my elbow, or bench press, my hand stays directly over my elbow. The relative, and it stays consistent throughout the rep. The relative distance of that distance from the joint that I'm working, which is the shoulder joint in this case, stays the same. As I get tired, what do I do? I slowly bring it in. So everyone, let's say I do. 10 reps with my hand directly over my elbow. And I go, okay, that was good. I'm going to go to 110 pounds or whatever relative increase, 10%. So I've increased the weight by 10%, but here's what I do. Watch my hand. I do this. So I bring the weight closer to my body. So I've decreased the distance from the shoulder. Let's say I decrease it by 20%. So, you know, if we we measure this distance as 12 inches or 10 inches, and I bring it in by two, I've actually decreased the amount of load that my pec is doing. because of. So people think, force equals mass times acceleration in the body. Everyone talks about force production. Well, force production, there's nothing in the body that works in a straight line. Everything works around an arc. So when you think of an arc, then you have to consider the distance. The distance is enormous. So distance is a really big part of the equation for for force, torque in this case. The other thing I notice is range of motion starts to... Totally. Starts to shorten. Well, the first consideration for most people is distance and and absolutely range of motion. We could talk about that in in a moment, but... So if, if your distance becomes less, you're doing less work. The easiest way to think of it is if I hold the weight like this, right. I can hold it all day. If I hold it here, same weight. So the moment arm is different now. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But people just like don't get that. And if you start to understand the moment arm, then the opportunity is enormous to isolate specific things. Then you're correct in saying, well, every muscle in the body is going to be substantially weaker in its length and in short range. So most people go, well, I'm not good there. I can't do as much there. So I'm just going to avoid it. And then we start to generate these, these strength disparities, right? So I become really good in one position, and I become really weak in another. Guess what happens then? I become tighter because my body goes, well, I can't go there. And that's where a guy who you know, can bench press 500 pounds can't put on his seatbelt. He can't even reach over to get on his seatbelt. It's not because he's tight. It's because he's weak. He's, got, he's literally not able to externally rotate or whatever the motion is to get into that position to put on the seatbelt. It's literally weakness in that position. So the body tightens up. As you know, the body tightens up in response to weakness. So if we can not allow them to be as proportionally weak in those positions, they are less likely to hurt themselves, less likely to lose the range of motion and maintain more athletic capabilities. So it's like exploring those end ranges. And it doesn't have to be with significant amounts of load in the beginning. It's like, what can you control? Mm-hmm. Let's see what I can control. So for people at home, like the first consideration should be quality. And quality means if I said stop at any one you know, call it millimeter or centimeter aspect of the range. Could you stop? And could you say that, hey, the muscle I'm actually training is doing work in this position? Because most people move through exercise, trying to do as little work as possible, right? Because that's what your brain's meant to do. But we want to actually do as much work as we possibly can. So the goal isn't to just do reps. And the best analogy is how many people out there read a book a week? Huge amounts, but they get to the end of the book and they go, I don't know what I read. So like exercise is like reading a book. Like, do you actually take that information and, and benefit from it? Or do you just get to the end of the book and go, I don't know what I read. Right. So are you reading the book to read the book or are you reading the book to get the information? So exercise is the same. Are you reading, are you doing the exercise to actually get the benefit or are you just doing it to be able to say that you went to the gym and you exercised? And I would say nine out of 10 people that I meet 
are going to the gym and not getting the benefit from the exercise. They're more just going to say that they maybe feel better when they leave, which is wonderful, but they're not actually going to see the benefit or the full benefit of exercise because it's hard. Yeah. One of the other things I've heard you talk about, and actually my previous coach, I was saying to you before we started recording, I'm sort of in between uh, coaches right now, but one of the things that she would say to me is make every inch count. Mm. Uh, or for our Canadians, every millimeter count, mm-hmm. right? So how do we, um, so kind of building on what you were talking about in terms of quality, maybe another, and maybe you might agree with this or not, but is another way to, let's say, progressively overload is to stop taking breaks. Like for example, at the squat, at the top of the squat, there's not much work that's being done there, mm-hmm. right? But if we're able to maybe stop just before the leg is fully extended and then go back into the next rep, is that something that you yeah, uh, maybe. think so about? Maybe. So again, remember you said you have conflicting goals. So I do. And I don't, goals, I don't yeah. think they're conflicting. So let's say strength is a goal and muscle building is a goal. So if my goal is strength, then if I'm taking, you know, three to five seconds or 10 seconds between reps, but my goal is strength, doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. If I, if my goal is um, hypertrophy, then I want to be considered, which is muscle building, then I want to be considered of generating the three mechanisms of hypertrophy. And like, how am I stimulating those three, which, right, which is tension, damage, and stress, right? Metabolic stress. Metabolic stress, yeah. So which one am I trying to do? And those should be not necessarily, um, not necessarily opposing, but distinct. So you can absolutely get stronger and build muscle, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean they have to happen at the same time. Does that make sense? So I could get stronger without getting bigger, for I guess sure. I'm actually, maybe I'm a little confused by that, maybe the premise that muscle strength and the amount of muscle that you have are not corollary to each other. Because they I've don't have often, to be. They don't have to be. Right. Okay, so I've always learned that they, I mean, they're not the same metric, but they often are so together. closely to, tied together that you can right. really in, interchangeably look at strength as a proxy for Muscle. Muscle, Well, but yeah. think of a 90-pound Olympic weightlifter who's doing 400-pound squats or 400-pound clean and jerks. Right. It's not correlated, right? Could, could it be correlated? Yes. But there's a nutrient. Muscle building, there's a nutritional component. And there's a time component. Strength, it's exclusively power, right? It's like power and speed, mm. force production. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily correlated. So you can get strong without getting big. Um, you probably can't get big without getting strong. Does that make sense? It's like if you're building muscle, you're getting stronger. But you can absolutely get stronger without getting bigger. And I think a lot of women want that. They're like, yeah, I want to be strong, but I don't want to be huge. And I think a lot of women can't separate that in their mind. Like, I'm going to get stronger. Oh, no, that's bad. I'm going to put on two. I'm going to be look bulky. No, not necessarily. Your bulk is going to come as a result of your nutrition, primarily. Your, you know, your aerobic fitness, you know, your how much body fat you've got. Like, all those things are completely separate considerations. And I would also say that women who might be considered muscular or bulky. Like I've had uh, Holly on the show, Holly Baxter on the show, very muscular woman. I don't think anyone's ever said, I mean, maybe, so I don't know. I can't speak entirely for her experience, but at least what she has relayed to me is that it doesn't seem like people are like, wow, you have too much muscle, Mm -hmm. you know, and she does have, she's, you know, it's very obvious that she has quite a bit of, of lean muscle mass on her. I think where people, again, don't discern is, a lot of the female fitness or figure or bodybuilding um, competitors are taking anabolic steroids. So they start to look masculine. Right. And that's not the same thing. Like mm-hmm. a woman can still be incredibly feminine and still be very muscular mm-hmm. and still look very, very feminine. I think sometimes we group people together, right? We, we create these like generalizations and stereotypes, which is not real. 
that's why it's great that you're doing this stuff because it's important for women at home to go, hey, if you have a pretty face and you like the way your face looks, you building muscle is not going to make you look like a man. It's not. Like you building, you taking anabolic steroids, that's completely different. And, and everyone responds differently. Right. right. Some people take steroids. Like I know a lady who like started to grow facial hair right away. Like she took a small amount of, of anabolics. Well, that's the genetic. Hair. That's the. Completely. Yeah. That's yeah. how she's going to metabolize the, the right. hormones. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's think about, let's think about the pe people who are listening to the show, typically female, um, maybe someone who's 35 to 55, who's grown up in, you know, culturally in the eighties and nineties where it was, uh, you know, and I love her, but like the Jamie Lee Curtis's of the, you know, and like the very, uh, maybe petite and that was maybe the goal. And now we're seeing more of a shift into, uh, strong is sexy. And, and I'm also, I'm somebody who, uh, adheres to that philosophy as well. I think that, uh, strong being strong, or at least the idea of being strong in my body and being able to lift up heavy things and being able to do the 550 pound hip thrust, we're yeah. not able to do that yet, but as, as a, as a, as a goal that I've set for myself is really exciting for me mm -hmm. to, to hit. So if you have someone who is in that age bracket, let's say, who's grown up maybe with some of these cultural stereotypes on what is feminine and what is beautiful, how do we start? What are some of the basics in terms of programmatics that we can think about in the gym when we're looking to be strong, uh, not necessarily bulky? And uh, I mean, I sort of I do have to say that I, I actually hate this. I, I, I do hate the idea that um, this bulk myth kind of persists because it is extraordinarily difficult to get bulky as mm -hmm. a woman, unless, as you were saying, there's some exogenous substrate that someone's taking in there. Uh, and they're enhanced, we'll say. Um, so where where do we start with programmatics? Where do we start in terms of thinking about how to build a program for ourselves? The, the big consideration that I want to point out to, to the listeners, sometimes when you have an accumulation of body fat and you start to add muscle, it starts to look like you're getting bigger because yeah. you haven't started to lose body fat. That's yeah. a consideration. Sometimes when we train and we train hard, the body gets a little swollen. You get a little infl inflammation, so some edema. And like, hey, that acutely temporarily can actually make women feel like they're getting bigger. Like, Hey, my, my clothes are fitting a little bit more tightly. Yeah. It's very common in the first three days, especially if you've never trained before your body's just retaining a little bit of fluid. That's very normal. You're creating the, these, this micro trauma at the level of the muscle. You got to move through that, right? You got to move. And then, so the good thing about that is I say, that'll bring your attention to if you are retaining water from weight training, well, what can you be doing, doing to support enhanced recovery, right? We can talk about that later, but there's an enormous number of things you can uh, do to support you know, the immune system processing more effectively and the body processing inflammation more effectively. So there's an enormous number of things we can do to talk about with that. But when it comes to just like foundational things that everyone should be doing, like what I, I call this phase one, right? So whether you're somebody who's 20 or 30 or 40, 60, it doesn't matter. There, there's a foundational number of things that we should all be capable of, physical capability, that will allow you to increase the rate of... Um, results acquisition, right? So everyone right now, you have, a, you have a specific, like if you just keep doing what you're doing, your rate of transformation is going to be a, a probably pretty consistent trajectory. There may be some ups and downs, ebbs and flows, but it's going to be a pretty consistent trajectory. But if there, I would suggest for most people, let's say 95% of people, there's some things that you can do right now to improve your current level of physical capability that would accelerate your, your the, the curve of your results. So that sounds interesting, right? So 
if we spend the next three months doing the same thing you've always done, you're, you can assume your results trajectory to be one thing. But if there's a certain number of things we do now that increases that, that's interesting. So what do those look like? What does it need to be? Well, in my opinion, it's quality of movement, right? So what does quality of movement mean? Well, how well do you control your own body? Start there. And so spending times at the ends of the range, like start there. Don't worry about how much weight you're lifting. Like weight matter, weight absolutely matters to results, but first quality matters. So you mean relative to gravity? Yeah. Just, yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. Well, no. So I mean, relative to adding more weight into an exercise, like you're okay. saying I would do 550. Okay. Right. But like, how well do you do a hundred? Mm -hmm. Like, is it a 10 out of 10 or is it a six out of 10? Right. Cause if we could take it to a nine or a 10 out of 10, you don't even need to increase the amount of weight in the bar and you've just progressively overloaded your muscle because of quality score. And the way you think of quality is it's like isolating this muscle to do more work per square inch, right? Or right. Per, per inch of an exercise. So can I make sure this muscle is actually working at the bottom, the middle, the three quarters of the way up and the top? Is it actually doing work? And the way you check is like, stop. So I'm doing a rep with hundred pounds. Okay. Or, or just with body weight, stop. Is the muscle I'm trying to train actually doing work there? Like actually just go ahead and pause. And like, if you can't one stop there, which is for many people challenging, it tells you, hey, my muscle that I'm trying to train or I think I'm training may not be doing the work here, right? Because so many people do exercise and their, their focus is reps. So they want to get from one position to the other position and they don't care what muscles are doing the work in the middle, if they're doing any work at all. It's like if I threw you a ball, the ball would get from my hand to your hand, but it would kind of go through this arc and nobody would be touching in the middle. It would get from point A to point B, but no actual work being done. So the goal is... And it's just a function of momentum at that point, correct. right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so well, how do we do it? Just like eliminate that to start. And if you can control your own body weight, then you've earned the right to now add a little bit more, right? And I think that's why it doesn't always sound sexy because women are like, oh, you know, this guy says this. And I'm like, if you can't control your own body weight to start, I was actually watching a lady at the gym today and I know her and she's like, hey, I want to build my glutes. So like, okay, show me what you're doing. And, and she looks like a baby giraffe. Like she doesn't know how to move her body. So I was like, and she's like, oh, you know, this coach said I need to do 300 pounds and put this much in a leg press. And I was like, you're just begging for injuries. So if you've ever gone to the gym and your knees are sore, your hips are sore, or like, you know, I, I feel, I feel worse after the gym. Like you're doing something wrong. It's not supposed to be that way. Right. And the way I explain it is like, that's an old mechanism and an old result. This is a new mechanism and a new result, right? A new opportunity. So we teach you how to do things correctly. We actually learn to control and use your body correctly. Now we can start effectively adding on top of it, right? You wouldn't get in a 100-meter race against an Olympic champion and sprint all out, expect your body to know exactly where to go and, and do it in a fast way, right? Could you run 100 meters? Yes. But is it going to be mechanically effective? Probably not. But the better you can make it as far as mechanics, the faster you can get to the end, right? And that's really a good way to think of it. It's like, well, the goal is to run the 100 meters or whatever your, your physical goal is in really the fastest time possible. In the most, and to do that, you have to do it in the most effective way possible. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And everyone's got varying mechanics, right? So your mechanics are different than mine. It's different than everybody else. So watching somebody on YouTube is not an effective strategy to one, first select exercises. That's just a horrible idea. And two, to learn how to do it. Like maybe success leaves clues, but really there's a lot that you, can, uh, that you need to learn about yourself. And it doesn't take, uh, you know, s some expert trainer like yourself or me showing how to do it. It's like there's some really basic, simple things that if you figure it out for you, everything else kind of lays itself out. So if we're talking about, you mentioned before, um, 
and I'm paraphrasing, but a hypertrophy signal, a metabolic signal, a neurological signal. Mm-hmm. What would be what would be some of the different? How might we think about that in the gym in terms of eliciting those three different signals? So I, I think I have an idea, but I'm I'm interested in how you might yeah. manipulate those three levers for for signaling the body to change and to grow. So if if we look through the lens of body transformation, right? So outside of body transformation, there's obviously athleticism and different goals. But if we look at just like body transformation, there's three primary targets in the body. As you said, there's a neurological stimulus, which is like accumulation of strength. I want my muscles to be better at uh, firing more motor, motor units at the time. Yeah, yep. yeah. Uh, and then I want a hypertrophy signal, which is, as we spoke about before, is tension, damage, stress. And the last one is meta- metabolic, which is really like uh, asking the body to produce more energy per unit time. So how do we program those things and how, how do they elicit different results? Well, a strength uh, um, stimulus is going to be just what you think it is. It's going to be uh, slightly heavier, slightly lower repetitions, a little bit longer to recover, two to five minutes to recover between sets. That's not. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a great idea. Hypertrophy, we're going to vary the signal a lot, right? Hypertrophy is going to, it's typically never linear programming with hypertrophy. It's what we call undulating typically. So there may be some... Um, heavier weights, maybe it's five to six reps sometimes, sometimes it's eight to 10, sometimes it's 12 to 15, sometimes it's more, but we're gonna vary the signal, right? So it may be, um, you know, again, when it comes to hypertrophy specifically, quality score trumps everything. So once, if we assume that everyone's got the quality score in the right place, then we're looking at, okay, well now how can I create a variation that allows me to elicit the smallest amount of work and get the biggest result? So we may objectively or subjectively assess your body, and say, okay, Stephanie, based on what you're currently capable of doing, you do really well in this like six rep range. But when I take you to 15, it seems like you fatigue really quickly. Mm-hmm. So there's probably a pretty good opportunity here. If we train this 15 or this 12 to 15 rep range a little bit more, maybe that we can get a, a better res- or some result and have your body producing more energy per unit time. Because you can, as you can imagine, once we start getting into longer amounts of time under tension, so you know, 40, 60 seconds and beyond, then the body has to start producing energy faster because it can't keep up, right? If I'm doing something over and over and over again, the body goes, I'm not sure that I can keep up with this. So the next time you come back, it's going to be more effective and more efficient. So we have to find the opportunity, the best opportunity within the confines of those three um, variables that will allow you to exert the greatest transformation uh, shift with the smallest amount of work. I do also want to highlight that you're saying more efficient but not necessarily easy. No, we want to work toward the harder things. Yeah. Yeah, we want to identify the things that we're not so good at. Most people are going to be like, hey, I'm really good in this six rep range. And that's great. Mm-hmm. You can you can absolutely still build that in. But if you neglect the things you're not good at, the, the disparity between things you are good at and things you're not good at gets greater. Right. And then it looks like that mountain that you just can't climb. You're like, oh, I hate doing cardio or I hate doing X, Y, and Z, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever it happens to be. So you have to intentionally move toward those things that are difficult. The sooner, the better. And it doesn't have to be an enormous amount, but it's got to be something, right? So I always talk about like, if, if you walk 10,000 steps yesterday, let's do 10,500 today as an example. But like, it doesn't have to be enormous jumps, but it has to be intentional progress. And this is why I think for most people, like getting someone to help you, if, if possible, is really helpful. Because it's like, no, like for me, this is my job, it's your job. Like we sit down to write programs, it takes hours. For someone who doesn't know a lot about it to sit down and write a program, you can do it for sure, but it's going to take time. And you're going to kind of question yourself, you're like, should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? So this is why when people create programs, like, hey, here's a fat loss program, and they actually know what they're doing, it's a really good idea to 
at least learn or participate. Um, I want to, I want to talk more about the idea of doing difficult things. And we were talking about this when you, when you first got here, uh, you were mentioning your son, um, and reading a book might be, you know, it might seem at the, at, at the time, something that's overwhelming for him or a task that's insurmountable. But when we, uh, and I was listening to you, I think I was overhearing you talk to, uh, to my partner, Giovanni, but I'm bringing it into the podcast because I think that this is, a, this is a central tenant to the way that I live my life. And I think it's a through line in the podcast in terms of um, becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable, getting comfortable with discomfort. And we've been talking a little bit about weight training and programmatics and, you know, strength uh, and uh, hypertrophy pursuits. And I think that it's important to note that when we maybe start the day or front end the day, it doesn't even have to be at the, at the, at the beginning of the day, but that's typically when I like to do something that I don't feel like doing is that's how I like to start off every day. But can you talk a little bit about the value of what it means to, in terms of physical resilience, but mental grit and resilience as well to doing mm-hmm. things that are uncomfortable? Well, as you know, by getting the, the hardest thing of your day out of the way first, everything else after that seems easy. And that, that's, that's the simplest way to think of it. It's yeah. like, eat the big frog first. It's like when, it's, when that hard thing is out of the way, now you feel like, gosh, everything I have to do from this, from this point out is downhill. Rather than having to go uphill at the end of the day, which it never happens. If you save the hardest thing for the end of the day, it's not going to happen. And people think, oh, I don't have good willpower. That's not true. You just literally need to set yourself up intentionally to do something hard to start the day. And so for many people, the hardest thing they're going to do in a day is weight training. So my suggestion is use that weight training as an opportunity to overcome, or at least not necessarily overcome, you will, but to face those mm, tendencies, right? To face the desire to, I don't really want to do it today, or I'm afraid of this, or I see my tendency to to avoid the hard things. And if this is this require, I think exercise is a real unique opportunity that not everybody talks about. So if if we consider exercises, probably for most people listening, the hardest thing you're going to do in a day. Within that exists this opportunity to get to know yourself, to explore your boundaries a little bit. So if you have some, you have something you're you're required to do. Let's say I write you a program, and you're like, okay, I'm going to follow this program. But you notice there's something at the end that's hard, and at the oh, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of busy. I got to I got to go now. Or you know, I didn't do the cardio today because I, I have some excuse. And you have these reasons that you just start kind of you know cutting corners a little bit. Well, where else is in your life, and that is that showing up, right? So you start looking, using exercise as this opportunity to start to identify character deficiencies. You're like, oh, I'm afraid of doing those deadlifts. And when I go into them, I don't really attack them. I kind of go in a little bit passively. And when it starts to get hard, I stop. And, you know, I, did, you know, I, know, I probably could have done a couple more reps or I probably could have done, you know, actually followed the program or followed the rest periods. But, you know, I waited a little longer. And you're literally going to see everyone's character literally being laid out in the workout. So what if, what happens when it's painful? Like I remember, yeah. um, I think it was Schwarzenegger who said, I only start counting when it hurts, when it starts hurting. Yeah. 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 So you're literally training yourself in those moments, right? So the way I approach a workout, if I have this tendency to go, Oh, it's okay. Like oh, I'm a little bit tired today. Or like you're literally training your habits that you're going to carry with you to the rest of your life. So if you're finding in your life that many things are hard or you're maybe not successful, you're not following through on things, Maybe use that exercise as a daily opportunity to just take inventory. Like, am I attacking this set knowing that I can go deeper? Or am I kind of going, I'm okay today. You know, I'm a little afraid that something's going to happen. Or like, is fear in the workout useful? Absolutely. But be realistic with yourself. Like, are you afraid because you should be afraid? Or are you afraid because you just don't want to do this? Or it's going to be uncomfortable, so you're avoiding it. 
I think it's just such a beautiful opportunity for, you know, with the men, I call it our daily battleground. It's like you're battling with your character. Like you're developing your character every day or you're developing your weakness every day, like your choice. And so I think exercise is just such a wonderful opportunity because ultimately life is easy right now, right? And, and psychologically life is challenging for many people. Mentally, it's very challenging, but physically it's incredibly easy. We've created these wonderful cities and, and access to everything. You don't have to leave your house. Physically, life is the easiest it's ever been huge amounts of mental stress, but like how then do we intentionally move toward physical discomfort and physical stress? I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. And I actually think, and this this might be a bit... I'm, I'm probably going to get some emails about this, but I, I think that the part of the reason why there is more mental stress is because there's less physical stress. Mm-hmm. So when we think about just human design, we are designed to move, we are designed to do, I would say this is true for men and women, more so maybe with, with our men, but when we are not moving, it it provides the opportunity for just to ruminate and to and to fight over, you know, or to, you know, we see sort of in the social realm things that maybe they don't matter, but I, I, my son, my 12 year old son, uh, came to me the other day and he, both of his, uh, great grandfathers fought in the war. So my grandfather, uh, of Lebanese descent fought for Canada. And then his father, uh, his, his grandfather, Greek fought in the, uh, in, in world war two, um, on the Greek side. And he came down and he's like, you know, both of my great grandfathers fought in the war. They saw friends that were killed. And, you know, we've sort of heard stories from, mm-hmm. from them and, and that have been passed down to him. And he's like, and now people are fighting over, and I don't mean, I, I don't mean this to be disparaging to anyone, but he was saying, you know, now people are fighting over pronouns. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what we fight about now is like, we miss, we misgendered someone or we were not using the right pronouns with, with someone. And not to say that that's not an important issue. I think that we can be supportive of communities, um, you know, the trans community in in this um, in this case. But I also think that the last time that there was a major war that, let's say, Canadians or Americans had to fight in was the nineteen, or maybe it would be the Vietnamese War in the in the I guess that would be the seventies, which is our. I was born in the 70s, right? right? So to your point around um, a lot of mental stress, I think that part of the reason why there is so much mental stress is because there is no physical movement. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. And so like, you know, at the the root of who we are, we're animals who uh, have 
evolved to process stress, whatever it is, through movement, right? What do we, right. we, we shake, we move, we, shake. we walk. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if we don't do that now, because like the most stressful thing that happens to people in the day is, you know, they get cut off in a car or they get a bill or they get in a fight with their partner and all of those things are stable, not moving. And uh, typically what do I do after? I'll, either, I'll usually go find some uh, external coping strategy, right? A pill, a drink or some food. And I'm still immobilized, but it makes me feel better temporarily, but it doesn't actually mobilize the stress. And, you know, the nerve, if we look at it through the lens of the nervous system, when you're getting a huge bump in sympathetic arousal, you're getting a huge bump in cortisol. If you just sit in that and you stew in that and not allow yourself to actually move through it, it just exists. It starts to create, you know, t- changes in the tissue, changes in the nervous system that stay there, changes in the brain that don't necessarily move. So, like, the key in, in the evolution of the human is, like, you need to move, you know, like either I would say to my kids, like either you're going to move on purpose or someone else is going to make you move. And in this case, it's like stress, like you need to move, right? It, it's a, it's a requirement of the human system. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed on that. And and that's why I think starting off our conversation with movement is so important because I see so many women and I was saying to you, you know, our demographic is a lot of perimenopausal and menopausal women where we start to see some of these changes in affect, we start to notice changes in cognitive, uh, we'll say resilience, where uh, women might be experiencing more anxiety or more sleep disturbances, which of course is a snowball effect into into everything. And I, I feel like if we can dial in the movement piece, even if it's not necessarily a structured weight program, like we've been discussing, but to your point around Anything. walking, like yeah. just get out and walk around the block. I always, if there's an email that comes in or whatever situation, it's just a lap around yeah. the block. And so, then all of a sudden it's not that big of a deal when I get back from that walk. Right. The yeah. best metaphor that I use is, is as we age, the walls are closing in around you. Right. So every time you choose comfort and you choose something that, like you choose to avoid the thing that's difficult, the walls close a little bit tighter. Right. And every time you choose to move into the discomfort, you push the walls out a little bit. And so as we age, if you are constantly pushing off those things that are that, you know, are difficult, you're kind of sweeping them under the rug. It just gets a little tighter. And then those things that used to be easy, now they're hard. Right. The walking up the stairs, the walking around the block, the carrying your groceries. If you constantly avoid those things they're going to get hard. The walls are closing in around you, whether you like it or not. This is called aging. And if we can constantly be intentional about, oh, I've always been able to do that, or I'm intentionally going to curate things for myself that are hard, I'm going to keep those walls away. Like my goal is to be 100 years old or 90 years old and, and be resilient, be, you know, I call it, there's four different types of resiliency that I speak about, right? There's physical resiliency, physical capability. There's metabolic resiliency. There's physiological and psychological resiliency. Mm-hmm. So I need to curate things in each of those areas or ultimately that support each of those areas all the time. So, you know, physical, I just need to move. And that may, for me, maybe yoga, maybe running, it maybe trampoline park, maybe soccer, maybe weight training, but it can be any of those. And my identity is... I'm the type of person that moves well, right? And so I have a certain standard of movement that I want to keep up. And if I drop below that, then I know what to do to to maintain it. So I've created, intentionally written down the standard. I need to be able to walk, run, cycle, yoga, lift, play, all of these things. And if at any point I drop below them, then I, I make a change. I make an adjustment in that area. Now, there's obviously a special consideration around injuries, right? Had a few injuries lately. So some of those capabilities right now are well below what my physical standard is. So I'm actually making sure that I'm building some other resiliencies so that those things are even, I've built some margin into those so that, you know, when I know my injuries kind of heal, 
Now I can go back to doing those other ones again. And those other ones that I built up, I've got some margin there so I can back up on those a little bit. So like physical capability, metabolic capability, metabolic resilience is like, hey, like let's do some fasting. Let's do some calorie restriction. Like let's sh- make sure, like, we're keto. Let's How make sure insulin body- sensitive are you? Yeah. Right. Am yeah, I actually yeah. able to, if I have to, I don't know, eat some carbohydrates. Am I going to get fat? Am I going to get, you know, huge amounts of insulin spikes? Well, it depends on how metabolically flexible you are, right? And physiological resilience is you know, your pH. It's it's your um, CO2 tolerance. It's things like your resilience to heat. Like well, how resilient are you? If you're, so are you someone who you, know, you can you can feel one degree change in the house? That's too warm in here. Let's put on the air conditioning. Or do you just kind of adapt, right? A healthy system adapts. And obviously psychological resilience as you move toward those things that are difficult and you, and you keep those walls from closing in around you. I love the word that you just used, which was adapt. I think that we often hear the word optimize Mm. a lot. And I don't know what your feelings are on this. I'm a bit of a word nerd, so I'm very sensitive to word usage. And I find that a computer is more appropriate for optimize. I think humans are more, and the word adaptation is more appropriate for humans. Mm. Sometimes I don't sleep the way that I should. That doesn't mean that because I can't do the three hour morning routine with the tea that's been imported from Japan and I don't have you know all the time to write, I'm still going to go and do my workout. Yeah. I'm still going to go and do you know the, the, the cold shower or whatever it is that I'm doing. So I think I, I love the word adapt because I think we are made to adapt. And honestly, some of the times when I haven't had the optimized routine is actually when I get my PRs. It's always when I'm sleep deprived. It's always when I've just traveled and things aren't exactly the way that they should be is when I seem to break through some ceiling that I've been pushing up against. Resilience, right? Yeah. And the term I often use is adaptive capacity. Like Mm. how capable are you? What's the, what's your capacity to adapt? And you know, you think of a guy, um, name escaped me right now, but he, he runs a half marathon before work goes to work for eight to nine hours, runs a half marathon after work. So he's running 13 miles before work, 13, Cam Haynes. And he's doing 13 miles in the morning, 13 miles at night. Like that guy's adaptive capacity is enormous, right? That's an example. That's an extreme example of like, right. you could subject, I'm sure if he doesn't sleep, do you think of the next day he, he wakes up and he drags ass and sits on the couch? No, because his adaptive capacity is so significant and you don't need to get there. But like, what can you be doing, listener? to improve your ability to adapt, your adaptive capacity, right? So you have these four different areas where you want to build capacity, physical, metabolic, physiological, and psychological. So like intentionally curating those, and this is where journaling comes in, is like, be honest with yourself, rate yourself. How am I doing in these areas? And and the way I would compare is like, either you can compare to either someone you admire, which is fine. I don't always say compare to somebody outside of yourself, but it's possible. Like if I want to be like this person in this area and that inspires you, go do it. Or compare yourself to yourself, maybe at 25 or 21, or the best you ever were. And like, hey, I'm not there. That's where I want to be. Or like, for me, as an example, I'm training my VO2 max right now. I'm like, I've never, I've always had a decent VO2 max as an athlete, but like, I want to have an exceptional VO2 max. So I'm not using myself as an example. I'm using someone outside of myself as, as, as an uh, avatar, as, as an example. Bar, yeah. yeah. I like, um, I also like the idea of when you are comparing yourself to yourself, which is the one that I prefer to do. I mean, certainly there are uh, models of um, uh, human capacity and capability that I admire. But I often also notice that we are always looking at the gap of where we are. 
And not the gain. And not the gain. <laughs> and not the gain. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Not how far we've come. Like you said, when we look back when we're 25, well, I was an idiot when I was 25. So I feel the lessons and the experience and the lived, you know, my lived experiences now yeah. are what inform a lot of my decisions. And when I look back at 20, to my 25 year old self, it's mm-hmm. like, I just want to give that girl a hug, you know, mm-hmm. like she totally. was. So, and but yeah. and you need those external um, pillars be- or those, those um, bars to use your term because like you wouldn't have the goal to do twelve pull ups or you wouldn't Correct. have the goal to do your five fifty. Correct, minutes. that's true. So like you got to have those people outside of your inspiration. Yeah, I, you know it's funny because you look at a gym like Planet Fitness, which like you can't have over. I think they have eighty pound dumbbells as a max, and like they refuse. Like you're not allowed to make any noise in there. And and to me, I get the idea of like including everyone, but. I'd love to encourage the people out there who maybe are afraid of going to those bodybuilding gyms to, to flip their perspective and see it as an inspiration. Like, are those people fighting? Are the gyms intimidating? Only in the beginning, right? Everything that is now easy was once hard. So in the beginning, like, hey, yeah, it's a little scary to see that big dude over there lifting huge weights and grunting and, you know, like, gosh, that's an, but maybe I could flip that and go, good for him. Like, I'm really yeah, inspired by him. Totally. Like, or her. Like, good for her. Yeah. Like, gosh, you know how much work went into that? Yeah. People often try to, like, dissuade or, or downplay other people's work. They're like, oh, they're, you know, they must be using steroids. They're cheating. They have great genetics. So they don't feel so bad themselves. Whereas if you flip it and you go, man, that person's working their butt off. Great for them. Good for them. Maybe I can learn something. Maybe I can be inspired. Completely flipping your consciousness. And people do this around people with money and people with great bodies and, like, stop bitching about other people. Stop trying to put them down and lift yourself up. It's only hurting you. Like use them as inspiration, use them as motivation and like ride that, ride that wave. If you give them a compliment, they may actually be like, Hey, no problem. You want me to show you how to do this? Mm-hmm. Gosh, I've just, and I'll tell you, I think it's easier. I think it's easier for the ego though, to complain. And that's why people stay in jobs that they don't love. Yeah. It's why they stay in marriages that are good, not great. Yeah. Because it's easier to say, well, you know, it's, it's good. It's not, you know, fear of being alone is a challenge, right? Fear of, yes. Yeah. 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 Um, I guess my, um, my thinking there is that it's, it's easier to complain about the life you don't have or the things you don't have than to actually be all in and go for it. Because Mm. if then that fear of you not succeeding actualizes, I think that's way more threatening to the ego than, than saying, well, I I could have, but I just, I just chose not to. Mm. That's extremely true. Extremely true. Especially there's people out there who are perfectionists or there's people out there who maybe haven't succeeded in many things and they've got evidence, right? Their, Their history is like, Hey, you've tried these things in the past and you haven't succeeded. My encouragement for people is like, I haven't succeeded yet. And you maybe just haven't found the right model or the right process. Like when it comes to transformation, I said this before we started, I want everyone listening to know, like transforming your body is not hard. It's not hard at all. I don't care how many times you've failed. I don't care how hard you've worked in the past. You're just not doing the right things for you yet. It's not hard. It may be uncomfortable. There's that very powerful. It may be uncomfortable. It may be different, but it's not hard. Like compared to what, right? So when I was competing, I'd compare myself to, a Navy SEAL, and I'd be like, nothing I do is hard. Like, you train so hard. I'm like, no, like, this isn't hard. I get paid to go to the gym. I get paid to eat great food. Like, come on, this nothing about this is hard. This is luxurious. Like, those people who are suffering and they don't have any food or people who are in war-torn countries or even the, the warriors, like, those people are working hard. I'm sitting here in this lavish lifestyle eating the most expensive, most beautiful foods in the world, going to an air-conditioned gym so I could intentionally subject myself to some resistance. Like, there's nothing about this. This is hard. Right. We're just weak. 
as a species. And if you start being honest with yourself, the reality is you're soft. You know, take, take your purse off. You know, take off your high heels and get on get to the gym. You know, it's it's not. Yeah, it's it's definitely not difficult. It's definitely um, new. It's a little uncomfortable at first, but you build the resilience, right? If it's uncomfortable for you to go to the gym, you already know the walls have closed in around you pretty extensively. Mm -hmm. So start pushing back. You've mentioned metabolic health and physiological health. I wanted to maybe touch on nutrition. This is another topic that we talk about a lot on the show in terms of different uh, models for thinking about food. So we've been talking about uh, recomping from a, you know, from a physical vertical, if you will. Of course, a big part of changing your, the way that you function, the way that you move, the way that you feel, the way that you sleep, all of those things also is a function of nutrition. Mm -hmm. Can you walk us through very generally like 30,000 foot forest from the trees and we can get more granular as we go in, but what are your thoughts on how someone might think about um, I think as a first primary tenant, I think you would agree with me is reducing inflammation. And then when we think about choosing a diet, I think a lot of people will jump to the macros maybe, um, and not consider sort of a more holistic picture of what it means to eat well. Mm -hmm. So maybe walk us through some of the tenants that you think about when we are thinking about how we want to recomp our body. There's a 42 year old woman who's new to Planet Fitness. She sees the guys that are grunting with the 80 pound dumbbells or, or what have you. And she's also trying to make changes in the kitchen. What are some, what are the first steps that we want to think about when we're thinking about changing the way that we eat yeah, so, and our relationship with food? So the way I approach nutrition for people may actually be different than what you advocate. And it's, it's, um, yeah, I'll share it with you. So I, from my experience, most people fail when they attempt to put themselves in a massive caloric deficit, take all these their foods out that they love. So my objective is, well, what, what behavior, like nutrition is a behavior. So what behavioral changes or behavioral shifts can we make that ultimately allow people to succeed? Because my goal with our, with our business is 100% success, right? And that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone gets to the exact goal that they want. But my goal is that we create a daily optimized experience that is allows everyone to be 100% successful within what they're willing and they're able to do. So nutrition for someone may be like, hey, I'm not going to, if you're supposed to eat 2,000 calories a day or 1,800 calories a day, like most nutrition coaches are going to say, we need to put you in a deficit. And my opinion is like, I want you to feel satiated. I want you to feel, because most people have learned the behavior of using food as a coping strategy, using food to feel better when their hormones are all dysregulated, their gut health is dysregulated, their, their cortisol is probably all over the place, their circadian rhythms are messed up. So for me, if I take away all the calories, which is their coping strategy, I kind of think they're going to fail. I think we're, kind of, we're setting them up to fail. So I would rather start making changes from a perspective of like, hey, I want you to eat plenty of food. I want you to eat maybe even more food than you're comfortable with. Like if we're going to stay, I don't want you to go into a deficit yet. I just want you to eat about the same amount of calories that your body needs to exist on a day-to-day -day basis. So sometimes in the first two to four weeks for someone, we may restrict the number of where the calories are coming from, which I'll talk about in a minute. But oftentimes I'll just prescribe self-regulated eating. But then you have to say, okay, I need you to hit these specific guidelines. So I need you to hit enough protein. I need you to eat enough fiber, maybe some vegetables. And then if you want to eat some, some foods that we're basically selecting from a smaller list of foods, so we're eliminating the likely inflammatory culprits. We're just giving them enough calories. So some people it's self-regulated. Um, and some people it's like, hey, here's your macros. And it depends on the personality, as you know. Some people, if I give them self-regulated, it tends to be a little uh, too much or too little. Um, so in, that, in those cases, if I say, you're going to do self-regulated eating for a week, I'll check in after a week. If their weight has gone up, 
we'll see that where their um, calories have been recorded throughout the week. And if they're a little too high, we'll bring them down by 10%. If their weight has gone down, then we maybe we'll bump it up by 10%. But I'm trying to say, hey, okay, like, what is this, where does this person land if they're just kind of given the freedom to, to do what they want to do within the confines of, hey, let's, let's stick within these guidelines of like, we need to hit your protein. And then we're going to select from, there's a group of about 10 foods or so that we select from. So it's kind of a, an elimination diet. And if they select from those foods and if you're like, hey, if you're hungry, eat as much as you want, just eat from this list. What I tend to find is people self-regulate after about seven to 10 days and, and the binging typically goes away faster. So if they're able to, if they're hungry or they're emotional and they, they've learned to go and eat the ice cream or the cake or the whatever, and I give them something that can replace that. So I also teach them some other coping strategies we'll talk about in a minute. But if they learn that they can replace that with healthy food or you know, they don't, if they just simply change their physical state, they don't need to eat. We start looking at more of a behavior change model than like a restrictive model, because especially when dealing with women, I don't know if you agree with this, but in my experience dealing with women, they often can create emotional um, challenges around food, right? So if I take food away from you, now there's this, this uh, reward thing happening, right? This like punishment reward. If I do really well, I get this. And if I don't do really well, I don't get that. So you're literally changing your relationship with food. So my suggestion with most people is in the beginning, I want you to kind of self-regulate and then we're going to try to increase the amount of performance that you're uh, participating in. So we're, we're effectively fueling performance. And when we say performance, we're talking about performance in the gym? Yeah, I'll okay. share what that is. So yeah. I want people to be able to wake up in the morning and feel energized and go to the workout and feel energized and make sure they're recovering well. So Rather than dumping a whole bunch of things in them, what we'll do is like, hey, you self-regulate your food. And when it comes to, to, to performance, well, we're probably going to add in some type of step count or some type of caloric expenditure during a workout. That's like, hey, make sure you burn 500 calories in this workout. Whatever it looks like, go do that, depending, depending on the person's level of expertise. Or then we're going to write a really specific program, um, you know, depending on the level of physical capability. And I need to make sure I'm fueling that. So we still want to get an approximation of how many calories they're burning. So most of our clients will wear a Garmin or they'll wear an Apple Watch. And while I don't think those things are necessarily accurate. Well, they give you some you directionality in terms of, yeah. Right. yeah. So it really just becomes a math equation. So I'm like, hey, if you write down everything that goes into your mouth today, we can start getting an approximation of whether you overeat, undereat. And what you'll find is after a week, some days they overeat, some days they undereat. If they overeat day one, day two, they tend to undereat. So they tend to balance out throughout the week. So we take the average calories for the week and we go, okay, based on what you've eaten this week, this is approximately what, you're, what we think your BMR plus your expenditure is, your total daily expenditure is about this. And we'll start there as a baseline. We'll go, that's, here's your daily calories for the day. We want you to try to be as close as you can to this um, during the week. And so if they're, if they're getting the results they're after, then we're great. We're moving in the right direction. If it's not, then we make small adjustments. But the way I, because I'm a performance coach, right? I'm not coming in and saying, I want you to lose as much weight as you possibly can in 90 days. Because I don't think it's sustainable. Because you know, the one day that they're going to look the way they want to look is that one day. And then as soon as they stop doing what they're doing, they're going to balloon back up. So I'm not an advocate of massive caloric deficits. I'm an advocate of lifestyle changes. So as in, it's like creating an identity where, hey, I'm the type of person who walks every day. I'm the type of person who wakes up every day and, and I walk 5,000 steps before I put anything in my mouth. Or I, you know, after every meal, I walk for 10 minutes. You start creating these identity shifts or these behaviors that become habits that become identity shifts. And uh, for me, that's the more effective approach for a long-term change, right? Everyone goes, I want to change in 90 days. I'm like, I'm not the guy for you, right? I can teach you a lot in 90 days that will allow you to be lean for life. That's kind of one of our taglines. Um, so we have a program we call phase one that leads into lean for life. So phase one is laying the foundations, creating the habits. And lean for life is, hey, now that you've got all these habits and behaviors in place, 
and skills. Now we can we can show you how to sustain that for life. So that's kind of I kind of scooted around a little bit, but um, I think that no, that's great. That's great. And I, I I would say that my experience with women is more often than not they're usually because and again coming back to that demographic like that thirty five to fifty five year old woman they've grown up in this. 1200 calorie 1100 calorie yeah. and then if they if they want to go down from there they need to, to go. It, well there's nowhere to go right so there's sort of this metabolic adaptation that happens mm-hmm. and then they can't seem to get rid of you know the weight that they're looking to get rid of they turn 45 and all of a sudden they're 10 20 health, hormones right. sleep it's all messed up so uh, we obviously right. spend a lot of time fixing all those like you and everyone's coming at it from such a different place, right? So the first thing we're going to do is if we can, we test. Just like you, it's like, I, I, I can make a very educated guess what I think is going wrong. You could tell me based on symptoms or we can test. And there's a small number of things that if you optimize in phase, in phase one, your results are exponentially faster. Sleep, as you know, is enormous. Stress, which is really adaptive capacity. Um, skill, which is a big one, which is like cardio is a skill. Weight training is a skill. Riding a bike is a skill. So we need to make you better at those skills. We want to improve your aerobic fitness. Um, we want to improve your, your metabolic insulin sensitivity and mm-hmm. your gut health. And those mm-hmm. are your, your six um, kind of primary, for me, pillars in phase one. Mm-hmm. And so we have, let, let's talk about a woman who is um, trying to, you know, she's in her 40s. She's noticed that her sleep has gone awry. Gut has gone awry. Where is the um, hormones uh, certainly are changing? What role do you think parasympathetic function has in her ability to, let's say, reduce inflammation or to improve any of those verticals? Because it's, and I, I have a bias uh, around, and I've, I, maybe this is a bias that's uh, been demonstrated through clinical experience, but what I've often found is that we have very much sympathetic dominant individuals mm-hmm. that are running around who've actually lost the ability to tap in to their parasympathetic function. So even just the simplest things like, how can you inflate, you know, all lobes of the lungs? Like, how can we get those lower lug, lungs, mm-hmm. you know, the lower lobes of the lungs um, moving and diaphragmatic breathing, et cetera? What, what, what do you, what is your thoughts on parasympathetic function and the ability to tap into it when necessary as a proxy for um, reducing inflammation and healing? Well, I mean, you, you answered it, right? It, it, it's... Um so, uh, for me, it's a non-negotiable. It's like, what can we build in? And, and the way I look at levers, so we have uh, an innumerable number of levers, and we can say, you know, this lever may be a really big lever, meaning it's going to make a big difference, right? So breath work, meditation, cold plunges, those are levers. And some of them are, let's say we rank, rank them on a scale of 1 to 10, and some of them are a 10, and some of them are an 8, and some of them are a 3, as far as the, the actual impact they'll make on each each person. And then you look at, okay, well, how likely are they to actually do it? So some of them are a 10. And you, right. So even though, you know, a lever may be a, an, an eight or a nine, like, you know what, I'm not likely to get in the cold tub very often. So I won't prescribe those ones, right? I'll find the ones that they're much more likely to follow through on. Like you have to be willing and able to do it. So what are the ones you're most likely to do? And they're going to have the biggest impact on you. And we're going to give them a number to choose from, right? So I have, I have with my team, I have full parasympathetic days. I was like, I need you to train these days. And like, I, it's like disconnecting from the matrix, right? It's like, hey, I need you to go on a two-hour walk. I want you to be in the park. I want you to be outside. I want you to be in the forest. I want you to be at the beach. Like, you got to leave your phone at home, be completely disconnected from the matrix. And 
So like with, depending on how hard somebody's training, certainly in the beginning, we try to, we try to include parasympathetic days. So it's like, spend a little extra time in bed, make love to start your day, read a book, jump in the sauna, go in the pool, go in the ice tub. Like we literally curate their day, go, go for a hike outside and like try to disconnect from all those things that are fast, right? The, the fast living, the sympathetic orientation, no stimulants on those days, no coffee. If you get back from your multiple hour walk and it's noon or something, no problem. Have a coffee if you enjoy it, but it's not like you get up and you go straight for the coffee pot. And so we're literally trying to teach people the value and the benefit of completely disconnecting because you know, as well as I do, when you do those days, I mean, if I do one day like that, I'll feel like I might come back. I'm like, God, I feel like it's been so long since I've worked. Like I feel refreshed one day. You do that for two days. It's a completely different game. So when you teach people or you allow them to feel, right? Telling somebody something I think is useless. If you allow them to experience what it's like in the beginning, they're like, oh, I didn't realize the impact, right? People, as, as you know, people always remember how you make them feel. And if it comes to like how a, an experience made them feel and you can make them come back and feel completely at peace, like, gosh, I feel like I just went to the spa. Boom. Mm-hmm. You, you, now you've got a behavior change, right? Yeah. 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 And it's, it's so wonderful when their uh, realm of possibility has opened up. Like, can I feel like this? Yeah, all the time. Like all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember uh, Giovanni and I went to... Um, cross-country skiing and then we went to uh, a Scandinavian spa where there was cold and hot cold and hot and we you know bounced back and forth stayed in the cold you know a minute and then we were in the hot for longer than that and then kept kept repeating that and at the end I was saying to him I feel so blissed out Mm -hmm. right now like people talk about panic attacks Mm -hmm. I felt like I was having a bliss attack like it was it was the opposite. It was the opposite of a, a panic attack. Mm-hmm. I was my body, my cells were so happy, mm-hmm. um, and I love. And I remember saying to him, "We have to, we have to make this a practice, you know. And we don't have to go to the Scandinavian spa in Collingwood. We can just turn the turn the heat off of the shower for the last, let's say, minute or whatever it is in uh, when you're taking a shower, and you can still recreate some of those levers that you were talking about. Yeah, huge. Yeah. yeah, and I think one of the things that's important to talk about for the listener is curating joy, curating moments or days of joy. Like, what are the, we so we forget? We get so busy and caught up in in, in doing. Yeah. Like, what actually brings you joy? Like, if it's a day with your kids, then plan it. If it's a day with your partner, then plan it. It's not going to happen by accident. Mm. And we, you know, we're guilty of this stuff is like, you get so busy, a goal achieving, you just forget to live. Like, hold on a minute. And I'm, I'm really good now. And I wasn't always this way, but like, I'll take weeks off at a time. I'm like, sorry, I'm with my kids. Like phones off. You're not getting email responses. Like that's important. That's the way it is. And people get upset and people are, you know, but I've, I've, I've ultimately, um, you know, quote unquote, not the right word, but train them to realize that, okay, when Ben's off his phone, he's just off his phone. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, oh, he must be with his kids and it's okay. Because like, that's how I live. And I'm like, the reason I live is so that I can spend time with these amazing little humans. And if I'm not responding to your text in three or four days, I apologize, sort of, not really, because I'm doing what actually matters to me, you know? And I think people should um, unapologetically do the things that bring you joy, because why not? You know, you know, I was hit by a car like, two weeks ago, riding my bike and like, my life flashed before my eyes. I just went home and I was like, God, I could have been dead. I could have been in the hospital. I could have been paralyzed. And uh, like moments like that, I'm like, man, everyone needs to experience this stuff once in your life because it just makes you appreciate what's important. So I just went home and I loved my kids the rest of the day. And I was like, I don't want to go anywhere. I just want to stay right here and just like express my love and my joy to you guys because like it was, you know, a game of inches, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. 
Yeah. I'm happy, yeah. happy that it didn't turn out any differently than totally. it did. Yeah. 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 I, um, I, I resonate so much with what you're saying because I used to, I used to say, well, it's because I'm an East coast girl, you know, like I, anytime someone, you know, I would go to California or Vancouver and I love these places. Um, but I, I would, comment on how slow everyone walked and it was mm. so agitating for me or every time I go to Europe I'm like how are these people taking a nap at one o'clock in the afternoon like right. I want to go and buy Hang something like how dare you you know right. and so that's sort of a you know that's you know my my own fault of, of being so uh, committed to maybe the drive or being driven um, and I think that there's been a softening thankfully like my children certainly have redirected my priorities in that way before having children it was all about me it was all about the career it was all about the accolades it was all about you know building you know building the clinic all the things um and then when my children showed up it was like oh yeah it's not just about me priority shift yeah, yeah big priority shift big priority shift and i think the privilege of watching them grow up has also continued to soften me and to continue to reshift. So sometimes I have a podcast like this, our first in-person podcast. Mm -hmm. I've been, you know, so excited to, to do this and I'm so happy that it's with you and my children, you know, you were talking to Sebastian before and he wanted to tell me all about his soccer and like all the, he hit the right corner, left corner, upper right, upper left, and to make sure that I'm present for those moments and to also be participating in those moments as well. So we played soccer together. I'm not very good, but it's amazing. I didn't know it was your first time. I (laughs) had no idea. I didn't, Giovanni was laughing at me because I had no idea that after you scored a goal, you have to take the ball back to the center line. So I've been watching soccer. This is so embarrassing to say, but I've been watching and rooting for going for Portugal and like going down to College Street, which is, you know, the Portuguese area in Toronto, you know, when they won uh, in 2016 and literally not knowing a fundamental rule of the game. So he was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't understand. Why is everyone coming back to the center line when we were playing? But um, anyway, anyway, I think um, I think the um, finding joy is coming back to your original point is so important because I think there are so many women listening I was one of those women where I knew the language you were speaking was English and I knew the word joy I could rec I could I could you know you know register the word in my brain I know he's talking about something like happiness that's what he's talking about with joy but didn't really know what the experience was like so I loved that you spoke about you know sort of the idea of information versus experience right? Experiencing joy and finding, and it's going to be different for everyone. For me, it's cross-country skiing. It's going to the beach with my kids. It's playing soccer. You know, it's having... I know a lot of parents um, struggle with their kids. So like a lot of parents have, you know, a contentious relationship. There's a little bit of tension. Sure. And I encourage everyone to sit down and realize like, so the way I view my kids, I don't know if you heard me talk about this, but I truly believe they saved my life. Like I think I was on a path to self-destruction and certainly young death. Hmm. And they were born, and so the minute they were born, I was like, "These, these are angels." That were why were you? Why did you feel that way? Well, as a professional bodybuilder, um, I, I was so focused. There was nothing else in the world that would stop me. Like, yeah. I, I was going to be the best in the world, and I didn't care who got in my way. I didn't care about anybody. I was just like, "I'm going there." Mm-hmm. And so, my grandfather was my dad. He, he raised me, and he passed away. And in 2007 and then so in 2011 i had the opportunity to go to paris which is where he's from he's from france and so uh went to paris to kind of celebrate his life and uh, in paris my son was conceived 
and I'm I'm such a I'm such a believer that my grandfather sent my son to mm. to save my life. Mm. And then a year later, my daughter was born, and so with my son, I was like, oh, I can keep going. He's my buddy. Like we're gonna train together. He's my little my little my buddy. Mm-hmm. My daughter was the one year old in the gym. Yeah, my, my heart just exploded when my daughter was open. I was like, there's no way I can't be the same person. I was I was very driven. I was I was you know ruthless. I was like, I'm gonna I'm going. Like nobody stopping me. And as soon as my daughter was born, my heart exploded. I was like, whoa, there's, there's no denying that I can't be the same person anymore. I just couldn't be. Mm-hmm. So I thank them every day for saving my life because bodybuilding, you know, like I did it in the healthiest way possible, but it's still not a healthy sport, right? Like the, the levels that we push it to, the my body weight, the it's just not it's not healthy, right? The anabolics, um, it's not the healthy. The cycle, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, and I wasn't going to stop. Like I was so committed to being the best in the world. It's all I could think about. It's consumed me and I'm, I have an obsessive personality and, uh, I don't stop. Like I don't take no for an answer. And I was in the top ten. Like I was close enough where I could have done it. Um, and the only thing in the world, there's little. I think about it to this day. There's nothing in the whole world that could have stopped me other than death and my children. And so I thank them so much. And the reason I share that with people is sometimes our perspective on how children um, exist in our life is is variable person to person. Right? Some people resent their children. Some people appreciate their children. Some people act out their parents how their parents treated them with Correct. their with their kids. Yeah. And uh, gosh, if you could just view your children as, you know, one minute they weren't here and the next minute they were, and these angels were sent to just experience life. And, you know, are they yours? Maybe, maybe they're their own sovereign being that you're just here to, to be their sentinel and to teach them love and safety so that they can, you know, go out in this world and, and do amazing things in this world. And so my like vision, mission in life is I just wanted to heal myself so that I can be a better version of them. That's literally all I'm doing. It's like, everyone's like, what's your mission? It's probably to heal myself and then teach other men how to do it themselves. Because I know a lot of, I grew up, you know, with the absence of a father, I had a grandfather. My dad was uh, in the wings, but not there. Um, I, I, I remember being the most afraid, the most lonely. Um, and I was just like, I don't ever want another child to experience this. So my mission is like helping dads to, realize that so i always talk about the second mountain similar to what you just spoke about the first mountain for men and i speak to men and i'm sure it's the same for women but specifically in my case was was uh, external accumulation accomplishment gratification like i'm trying to get that thing out there right i want to be uh, validated i want to want to make money i want to have significance i want to have importance and you, know, you get to the top of that mountain and you realize it's not where you want to be you're mm-hmm. like this isn't it so now instead of now shining the light, the spotlight outside of me, like I want to, I want to accumulate that money and this thing. And now I, sh- I shine the spotlight inside and on, like on myself. And so now the focus and attention is like, what do I need to do to be the best version of me, to heal my body, to heal my heart, to heal my soul so I can show up for them and they can lead the next generation and I can lead other men or support other men to ultimately be the best. And I know this audience is predominantly women, but I'm sure there's a lot, a lot of women out there who can relate to carrying their trauma forward right i always say like live from your heart not from your trauma Mm. and that's a really hard thing to do (laughs) easier said than done uh especially when you've been taught to wrap your heart up in thorns right if you've been hurt you know and that's how i describe it i describe you know being hurt and some of the you know experiences that you you know experience along the way just having to protect your heart because it's been broken so many times before yeah. yeah. And, and it's not easy. And you ask why I keep a coach all the time. And that's it. You know, there's, there's always mm. something that comes up. I'm like, you know, and I look for my pain. I look for my challenge. Like what, what brings me physical discomfort, emotional discomfort. 
And I'm like, okay, there's something here, right? Why does that trigger me? Why does that make me upset? You know, your triggers are the, are the doorway to your trauma. So, um, for and the, freedom. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Discovering what it is. And, and so I had one this week is like, I have a huge issue with reliability. Like in, in all my relationships, I'd never had anyone when I was a child that I could rely on. So now I've created this relationship that, or, or this relationship with relationships that is uh, usually one directional. Like I give, but I don't receive because I don't, I don't ever feel like I want to owe anybody anything. I keep, um, yeah, anyways, I don't want to get into my stuff, but uh, and we being, can get into your stuff if you <laughs> no, want. <laughs> no, no, point being, like, I think everyone, I encourage everyone to have the courage to uh, realize that, you know, if there's something that's triggering you, if something that's challenging you, uh, there's your opportunity and, and be courageous enough and strong enough to to move toward it. And I think, honestly, the thing that gave me the courage is, is bodybuilding for me. It gave me the courage to, like, believe in myself, to have the confidence, um, to realize that I could withstand hard things and the more I can withstand hard things, the more I can move toward those emotional triggers, which are probably the hardest of all. I think we were originally talking about children. And one of the things that I have come to realize is I can pretend that I'm the most, I know my trauma, I know my stuff. And then my children will just hold up a mirror and they'll be <laughs> totally. like, humble, yep. please hold be humbled. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's one of the be- most beautiful things or most beautiful gifts, I'll say, um, that my children have been able to give me is the help and the direction in terms of um, where that treasure lies, right? <laughs> where the, where those triggers lie for me. And initially, I remember even just um, my older son, I remember he was maybe two, just has no, you know, no manipulate. He's not trying sure. to, uh, and I was getting so upset at him, maybe not, I can't even remember what it was, but I remember catching myself thinking like, this is a two-year-old and mm. you're 35, you know, like what? They just want to be safe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they just want to be safe. Yeah. yeah. And so do we. I mean, I, yeah. I think there's so many of us that are in our 30s and our 40s that are just, we have a 30 or 40-year-old chronological body, but we have the emotional, you know, needs of like an eight or a 10-year-old yeah. because those weren't met. And so we replay them out with our children. So, you know, your point around, um, maybe some people in their relational uh, af- their relational difficulties with their children. I think being the uh, generation or the person, let's say, to stop that transmission of trauma forward, I think is at least is very important for me. And I think it, you know, I'm, as I'm hearing you talk, it seems like it's important. It's for everything. You as well. yeah, yeah, it's literally everything. I mean, um, it's the only thing for me, really. Like, why am I doing everything I'm doing? Is why do we live, right? It's like, I want to give my kids the best life they possibly can. I want yeah. them to, to express the love and the greatness that's within them in whatever way that they want, not the ways that I want, right? right. And that's a really important lesson for parents too is, you know, I think it was Mark Twain that said, children are cursed with the unfulfilled dreams of their parents. Yeah. And uh, so true. Like, and, and I'm very blessed to have made it to the top of the mountain in what I did. So... I don't wish that on them. Like, I'm like, you guys can do whatever. I don't want you to be a pro athlete. Like if you want to go nuts, but it's not what you think it is. Like it's, you know, is it great? Eh, maybe only if you really, really love it. And so you have so many parents out there trying to shove their, their square peg into a round hole with their kids. Like you need to do this. Cause I liked it. Like, no nah, man, that's mm-hmm. just so ridiculous. Um, but Hey, to each their own. I hope, I hope, um, Parents can, you know, as far as like suggestions for parents out there, I know because it's not easy to navigate your own emotions. There's a book called Real Love that I recommend to everybody by oh. Greg Bear. 
Mm. It's the best. There's real love for parenting. There's real love for marriage. Just get real love, the plain, the, the original one. Um, Greg Bear, B-A-E-R, phenomenal. Mm. Um, yeah, like it's certainly my most gifted book. Uh, anyone who has any semblance of trauma or if you're a parent, it's the best parenting book I've ever read and the best relationship book I've ever read. It's phenomenal. Mm. Again, I'm, I'm building it up. I was like, it's not that good, but it, it impacted me a lot. Impacts, How many times have you read it? Uh, four, maybe. Really? Okay. Yeah. The Body Keeps Score, that's the one I read the most. Bessel van der Kolk, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah he's great. I think he's going to come on the podcast. Oh. Yeah, it'll be fun. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, so why don't we why don't we let uh, people know if they want to find out more about you, about your work, tell them about your podcast. You're also a podcast host as well. Yeah. Um, my podcast started in 2013 as, as exclusively muscle building, when I was still in the muscle building world, and has really evolved to a lot of things we talk about is... I believe the body is um, not only going to support your journey, but it's a vehicle to uh, allow you to do all the things you want. So if you don't take care of the body, you're not going to be taking care of the mind. As we spoke about, the mind and the body are inextricably linked. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we talk about all this stuff, and it's really um, to support people to thrive physically so they can uh, have the energy and the the courage to do everything. Uh, So the podcast is called Muscle Intelligence, and uh, like I said, I've been doing it for 10 years. Um, It's fun. I honestly don't do it as much as I used to. I think I'm in this transition phase in my life where everyone knows me as the muscle building guy. And while it still is a big part of who I am, there's there's a lot of um, new terrain. So for me to kind of put myself into the box of muscle building feels limiting. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm expanding out of it, but still kind of deciding what that all looks like. And I think I've got pretty good clarity on it now. But um, so the podcast is still going. We go once, actually still twice, or once a week for uh, new episodes and once a week for uh, summary episodes so we summarize like specific topics so like this week i think we did nutrition and we'll take five guests that have come on the past and talk about a specific topic we edit it down super fun um yeah muslim intelligence podcast where to find me awesome yeah and it's been a pleasure Thanks, thank you all right all right i hope you enjoyed today's episode and i must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here this podcast better with dr stephanie is for general information only and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine chiropractic or any other primary healthcare providers advice treatment or care In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary healthcare provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only. 